Chapter Twelve of Book Seven of Eudamian Ethics by Aristotle, translated by J. Solomon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Chapter Twelve. We must also consider about independence and friendship and the relations they have to one another. For one might doubt whether, if a man be in all respects independent, he will have a friend, if one seeks a friend from want and the good man is perfectly independent. If the possessor of virtue is happy, why should he need a friend? For the independent man neither needs useful people, nor people to cheer him, nor society. His own society is enough for him. This is most plain in the case of a god, for it is clear that, needing nothing, he will not need a friend, nor have one, supposing that he does not need one, so that the happiest man will least need a friend, and only as far as it is impossible for him to be independent. Therefore the man who lives the best life must have fewest friends, and they must always be becoming fewer, and he must show no eagerness for men to become his friends, but despise not merely the useful, but even men desirable for society. But surely this makes it all the clearer that the friend is not for use or help, but that the friend, through virtue, is the only friend. For when we need nothing, then we all seek others to share our enjoyment, those whom we may benefit rather than those who will benefit us and we judge better when independent than when in want and most of all we then seek friends worthy to be lived with but as to this problem we must see if we have not been partially right and partially missed the truth owing to our illustration it will be clear if we ascertain what is life in its active sense and as end Clearly it is perception and knowledge, and therefore life in society is perception and knowledge in common, and mere perception and mere knowledge is most desirable to everyone, and hence the desire of living is congenital in all, for living must be regarded as a kind of knowledge. If, then, we were to cut off and abstract mere knowledge and its opposite, this passes unnoticed in the argument, as we have given it, but in fact need not remain unnoticed. There would be no difference between this and another's knowing instead of oneself, and this is like another's living instead of oneself. But, naturally, the perception and knowledge of oneself is more desirable, for we must take two things into consideration, that life is desirable and also the good and thence that it is desirable that such a nature should belong to oneself as belongs to them if then of such a pair of corresponding series there is always one series of the desirable and the known and the perceived are in general constituted by their participation in the nature of the determined so that to wish to perceive oneself is to wish oneself to be of a certain definite character since then we are not in ourselves possessed of each of such characters, but only by participation in these qualities in perceiving and knowing. 
for the perceiver becomes perceived in that way and in that respect in which he first perceives and according to the way in which and the object which he perceives and the knower becomes known in the same way therefore it is for this reason that one always desires to live because one always desires to know and this is because he himself wishes to be the object known the choice to live with others might seem from a certain point of view silly first in the case of things common also to the other animals e g eating together drinking together for what is the difference between doing these things in the neighbourhood of others or apart from them if you take away speech but even to share in speech of a casual kind does not make the case different further for friends who are self-dependent neither teaching nor learning is possible for if one learns he is not as he should be and if he teaches his friend is not and likeness is friendship but surely it is obviously so and all of us find greater pleasure in sharing good things with friends as far as these come to each i mean the greatest good one can share but to some it falls to share in bodily delights to others in artistic contemplation to others in philosophy and the friend must be present too whence the proverb distant friends are a burden so that men must not be at a distance from one another when there is friendship between them hence sensuous love seems like friendship for the lover aims at the society of his beloved but not as ideally he ought but in a merely sensuous way the argument then says what we have before mentioned raising difficulties but the facts are as we saw later so that it is clear that the objector is in a way misleading us we must see the truth from this a friend wants to be in the words of the proverb another heracles a second self but he is severed from his friend and it is hard to find in two people the characteristics of a single individual but though a friend is by nature what is most akin to his friend one man is like another in body and another like him in soul and one like him in one part of the body or soul and another like him in another but none the less does a friend wish to be as it were a separate self therefore to perceive a friend must be in a way to perceive oneself and to know oneself so that even the vulgar forms of pleasure and life in the society of a friend are naturally pleasant for perception of the friend always takes place at the same time but still more the communion in the diviner pleasures and the reason is that it is always pleasanter to see oneself enjoying the superior good and this is sometimes a passion sometimes an action sometimes something else but if it is pleasant for a man himself to live well and also his friend and in their common life to engage in mutually helpful activity their partnership surely would be above all in things included in the end therefore men should contemplate in common and feast in common only not on the pleasures of food or on necessary pleasures such society does not seem to be true society but sensuous enjoyment 
but the end which each can attain is that in which he desires the society of another if that is not possible men desire to benefit and be benefited by friends in preference to others that society then is right that all wish it above all things and that the happiest and best man tends especially to do so is clear but that the contrary appeared as the conclusion of the argument was also reasonable since the argument said what was true for it is in respect of the comparison of the two cases that the solution is found the case compared being in itself truly enough stated for because god is not such as to need a friend the argument claims the same of the man who resembles god but by this reasoning the virtuous man will not even think for the perfection of god is not in this but in being superior to thinking of aught beside himself the reason is that with us welfare involves a something beyond us but the deity is his own well-being as to our seeking and praying for many friends while we say that the man who has many friends has no friend both are correct for if it is possible to live with and share the perceptions of many at the same time it is most desirable that these should be as numerous as possible but since this is most difficult the activity of joint perception must exist among fewer so that it is not only hard to get many friends for probation is necessary but also to use them when you have got them sometimes we wish the object of our love to be happy away from us sometimes to share the same fortune as ourselves the wish to be together is characteristic of friendship for if the two can be together and be happy all choose this but if they cannot be both then we choose as the mother of heracles might have chosen e g that her son should be a god rather than in her company but a serf to eurystheus one might say something like the jesting remark of the laconian when someone bade him in a storm to summon the dioscuri footnote he doubtless said that being in trouble himself he did not wish to involve the dioscuri in it End footnote. it appears to be the mark of one who loves to keep the object of his love from sharing in hardships but of the beloved to wish to share them the conduct of both is reasonable for nothing ought to be so painful to a friend as his friend should be pleasant to him but it is thought that he ought not to choose what is for his own interest therefore men keep their friends from participation in their calamities their own suffering is enough that they may not show themselves studying their own interest and choosing joy at the cost of a friend's pain or relief by not bearing their troubles alone but since both well-being and participation are desirable it is clear that participation with a smaller good is more desirable than to enjoy a greater good in solitude but since the weight to be attached to participation is not ascertained men differ and some think that participation in all things at once is the mark of friendship e g they say that it is better to dine together than separately though having the same food others wish them to share prosperity since they say if one takes extreme cases great adversity in company is on par with great prosperity enjoyed alone 
we have something similar in the case of ill-fortune, for sometimes we wish our friends to be absent, and we wish to give them no pain, when they are not going to be of any use to us. At another time we find it pleasantest for them to be present. But this contradiction is quite reasonable, for this happens in consequence of what we have mentioned above, and because we often simply avoid the sight of a friend in pain, or in bad condition, as we should the sight of ourselves so placed. Yet to see a friend is as pleasant as anything can be, because of the above-mentioned cause, and indeed to see him ill is pleasant if you are ill yourself, so that whichever of these two is the pleasanter decides us whether to wish the friend present or not. This also happens for the same reason in the case of the worst sort of men, for they are most anxious that their friends should not fare well, nor even exist, if they themselves have to fare badly. Therefore some kill the objects of their love with themselves, for they think that if the objects of their love are to survive, they perceive their own trouble more acutely, just as one who remembered that once he had been happy would feel it more than if he thought himself to be always unhappy. Chapter 13. Here one might raise a question. One can use each thing both for its natural purpose and otherwise, and either per se or again per accidens, as for instance one might use the eye as eye for seeing and also for falsely seeing by squinting, so that one thing appears as two. Both these uses are due to the eye being an eye, but it was possible to use the eye in another way, per accidens, e.g., if one could sell or eat it. Knowledge may be used similarly. It is possible to use it really, or to do what is wrong, e.g., when a man voluntarily writes incorrectly, to make knowledge into ignorance for the time, as dancing girls sometimes exchange the uses of the hand and the foot, and use the foot as a hand, and the hand as a foot. If, then, all the virtues are kinds of knowledge, one might use justice also as injustice, and so one would be unjust and do unjust actions from justice, as ignorant things may be done from knowledge. But if this is impossible, it is clear that the virtues are not species of knowledge, and even if ignorance cannot proceed from knowledge, but only error and the doing of the same things as proceed from ignorance, it must be remembered that from justice one will not act as from injustice. But since prudence is knowledge and something true, it may behave like knowledge. One might act imprudently, though possessed of prudence, and commit the errors of the imprudent. But if the use of each thing as such were single, then in so acting men would still be acting prudently. Over other kinds of knowledge, then, there is something superior that diverts them. But how can there be any knowledge that diverts the highest knowledge of all? There is no longer any knowledge or intuitive reason to do this. But neither can virtue do it, for prudence uses that, for the virtue of the ruling part uses that of the subject. Who is there, then, whose prudence is thus diverted? Perhaps the position is like that of incontinence, which is said to be a vice of the irrational part of the soul. 
the incontinent man is in a sense intemperate he has reason but supposing appetite to be strong it will twist him and he will draw the opposite conclusion or is it an obvious consequence that similarly if there is virtue in the irrational part but folly in the rational they are transformed in yet another way thus it will be possible to use justice unjustly and badly and prudence foolishly and therefore the opposite uses will also be possible for it is absurd that vice occurring sometimes in the irrational part should twist the virtue in the rational part and make the man ignorant but that virtue in the irrational part when folly is present in the rational should not divert the latter and make the man judge prudently and as is right and again prudence in the rational part should not make the intemperance in the irrational part act temperately this seems the very essence of continence and therefore we shall also get prudent action arising out of ignorance but all these consequences are absurd especially that of acting prudently out of ignorance for we certainly do not see this in any other case e g intemperance perverts one's medical or grammatical knowledge but at any rate we may say that not ignorance if opposite for it has no superiority but virtue is rather related in this way to vice in general for whatever the unjust can do the just can do and in general powerlessness is covered by power and so it is clear that prudence and virtue go together and that those complex states are states of one in whom prudence and virtue are not combined and the socratic saying that nothing is stronger than prudence is right but when socrates said this of knowledge he was wrong for prudence is virtue and not scientific knowledge but another kind of cognition chapter fourteen but since not only prudence and virtue produce well-doing but we say also that the fortunate do well thus assuming that good fortune produces well-doing and the same results as knowledge we must inquire whether it is or is not by nature that one man is fortunate another not and what is the truth about these things for that there are fortunate men we see who though silly are often successful in matters controlled by fortune some also in matters involving art but into which chance largely enters e g strategy and navigation does their success then arise from some acquired mental condition or do they affect fortunate results not because of their own acquired qualities at all at present men take the latter view regarding them as having some special natural endowment does nature rather make men with different qualities so that they differ from birth as some are blue-eyed and some black-eyed because they have some particular part of a particular nature so are some lucky and others unlucky for that they do not succeed through prudence is clear for prudence is not irrational but can give a reason why it acts as it does but they could not say why they succeed that would be art further it is clear that they succeed though imprudent and not merely imprudent about other things that would not be strange at all e g hippocrates was a geometer 
but in other respects was thought foolish and imprudent and once on a voyage was robbed of much money by the customs collectors at byzantium owing to his silliness as we are told but imprudent in the very business in which they are lucky for in navigation not the cleverest are the most fortunate but it is as in throwing dice where one throws nothing another throws something so a man is lucky according as nature determines or is it because he is loved as the phrase is by a god success being something coming from without as a worse built vessel often sails better not owing to itself but because it has a good pilot but if so the fortunate man has a good pilot namely the divinity but it is absurd that a god or divinity should love such a man and not the best and most prudent if then success must be due either to nature or intelligence or some sort of protection and the latter two causes are out of the question then the fortunate must be so by nature but on the other hand nature is the cause of the absolutely uniform or of the usual fortune the opposite if then it is thought that unexpected success is due to chance but that if it is through chance that one is fortunate the cause of his fortune is not the sort of cause that produces always or usually the same result further if a person succeeds or fails because he is a certain sort of man just as a man sees badly because he is blue-eyed then it follows that not fortune but nature is the cause the man then is not fortunate but rather naturally gifted so we must say that the people we call fortunate are not so through fortune therefore they are not fortunate for those goods only are in the disposal of fortune of which good fortune is the cause but if this is so shall we say that fortune does not exist at all or that it exists but is not a cause no it must both exist and be a cause it will then also cause good or evil to certain people but whether it is to be wholly removed and we ought to say that nothing happens by chance but do say that chance is a cause simply because though there is some other cause we do not see it and therefore in defining chance some make it a cause incalculable to human reasoning taking it to be a genuine reality this would be matter for another inquiry but since we see people who are fortunate once only why should they not be fortunate a second time for the same reason and a third time for the same antecedent is cause of the same consequent then this cannot be a matter of chance but when the same event follows from indefinite and undetermined antecedents it will be for a particular man good or evil but there will not be the science that comes by experience of it since otherwise some lucky people would have learned it or even as socrates said all the sciences would have been kinds of good luck what then prevents such things happening to a man often in succession not because he has a certain character but as say dice might continually throw a lucky number but again are there not in the soul impulses some from reason and others from irrational desire the latter being the earlier for if the impulse arising from appetite for the pleasant is natural 
the desire also would by nature march in each case towards the good if then some have a fortunate natural endowment as musical people though they have not learned to sing are fortunately endowed in this way and move without reason in the direction given them by their nature and desire that which they ought at the time and in the manner they ought such men are successful even if they are foolish and irrational just as the others will sing well though not able to teach singing and such men are fortunate namely those who generally succeed without the aid of reason men then who are fortunate will be so by nature perhaps however good fortune is a phrase with several senses for some things are done from impulse and are due to deliberate choice and others not but the opposite and if in the former cases they succeed where they seem to have reasoned badly we say that they have been lucky and again in the latter cases if they wished for a different good or less of the good than they got men who are lucky in the former way then may be fortunate by nature for the impulse and desire was for the right object and succeeded but the reasoning was silly and people in this case when it happens that their reasoning seems incorrect but desire is the cause of their reasoning are saved by the rightness of their desire but on another occasion a man reasons again in this way owing to appetite and turns out unfortunate but in the other cases how can the good luck be due to a natural goodness in desire and appetite but surely the good fortune and chance spoken of here and in the other case are the same or else there is more than one sort of good fortune and chance has two meanings but since we see some men lucky contrary to all knowledge and right reasonings it is clear that the cause of luck must be something different from these but is it luck or not by which a man desires what and when he ought though for him human reasoning could not lead to this for that is not altogether unreasonable whereof the desire is natural though reason is misled by something the man then is thought to have good luck because luck is the cause of things contrary to reason and this is contrary to reason for it is contrary to science and the universal but probably it does not spring from chance but seems so for the above reason so that this argument shows not that good luck is due to nature but that not all who seem to be lucky are successful owing to fortune but rather owing to nature nor does it show that there is no such thing as fortune nor that fortune is not the cause of anything but only not of all that it seems to be the cause of this however one might question whether fortune is the cause of just this viz desiring what and when one ought but will it not in this case be the cause of everything even of thought and deliberation for one does not deliberate after previous deliberation which itself presupposed deliberation but there is some starting point nor does one think after thinking previously to thinking and so ad infinitum thought then is not the starting point of thinking nor deliberation of deliberation what then can be the starting point except chance thus everything would come from chance perhaps there is a starting point with none other outside it and this can act in this sort of way by being such as it is the object of our search is this 
what is the commencement of movement in the soul the answer is clear as in the universe so in the soul god moves everything for in a sense the divine element in us moves everything the starting point of reasoning is not reasoning but something greater what then could be greater even than knowledge and intellect but god not virtue for virtue is an instrument of the intellect and for this reason as i said a while ago those are called fortunate who whatever they start on succeed in it without being good at reasoning and deliberation is of no advantage to them for they have in them a principle that is better than intellect and deliberation while the others have not this but have intellect they have inspiration but they cannot deliberate for though lacking reason they attain the attribute of the prudent and wise that their divination is speedy and we must mark off as included in it all but the judgment that comes from reasoning in some cases it is due to experience in others to habituation in the use of reflection and both experience and habituation use god this quality sees well the future and the present and these are the men in whom the reasoning power is relaxed hence we have the melancholic men the dreamers of what is true for the moving principle seems to become stronger when the reasoning power is relaxed so the blind remember better their memory being freed from concern with the visible it is clear then that there are two kinds of good luck the one divine and so the lucky seem to succeed owing to god men of this sort seem to succeed in following their aim the others to succeed contrary to their aim both are irrational but the one is persistent good luck the other not chapter fifteen about each virtue by itself we have already spoken now since we have distinguished their natures separately we must describe clearly the excellence that arises out of the combination of them what we have already called nobility and goodness that he who truly deserves this denomination must have the separate virtues is clear it cannot be otherwise with other things either for no one is healthy in his entire body and yet healthy in no part of it but the most numerous and important parts if not all must be in the same condition as the whole now goodness and nobility and goodness differ not only in name but also in themselves for all goods have ends which are to be chosen for their own sake of these we call noble those which existing all of them for their own sake are praised for these are those which are the source of praised acts and are themselves praised such as justice itself and just acts also temperate acts for temperance is praised but health is not praised for its effect is not nor vigorous action for vigour is not these are good but not praised induction makes this clear about the rest too a good man then is one for whom the natural goods are good for the goods men fight for and think the greatest honour wealth bodily excellences good fortune and power are naturally good but may be to some hurtful because of their dispositions for neither the imprudent 
nor the unjust nor the intemperate would get any good from the employment of them any more than an invalid from the food of a healthy man or one weak and maimed from the equipment of one in health and sound in all limbs a man is noble and good because those goods which are noble are possessed by him for themselves and because he practises the noble and for its own sake the noble being the virtues and the acts that proceed from virtue there is also what we may call the civic disposition such as the laconians have and others like them might have its nature would be something like this there are some who think one should have virtue but only for the sake of the natural goods and so such men are good for the natural goods are good for them but they have not nobility and goodness for it is not true of them that they acquire the noble for itself that they purpose acts good and noble at once more than this that what is not noble by nature but good by nature is noble to them for objects are noble when a man's motives for acting and choosing them are noble wherefore to the noble and good man the naturally good is noble for what is just is noble justice is proportioned to merit and the perfect man merits these things or what is fitting is noble and to the perfect man these things wealth high birth and power are fitting so that to the perfect man things profitable are also noble but to the many the profitable and the noble do not coincide for things absolutely good are not good for them as they are for the good man to the noble and good man they are also noble for he does many noble deeds by reason of them but the man who thinks he ought to have the virtues for the sake of external goods does deeds that are noble only per accidens nobility and goodness then is complete virtue about pleasure too we have spoken what it is and in what sense good we have said that the absolutely pleasant is also noble and the absolutely good pleasant but pleasure only arises in action therefore the truly happy man will also live most pleasantly that this should be so is no idle demand of man but since the doctor has a standard by reference to which he distinguishes the healthy from the unhealthy body and with reference to which each thing up to a certain point ought to be done and is wholesome while if less or more is done health is the result no longer so in regard to actions and choice of what is naturally good but not praiseworthy the good man should have a standard both of disposition and of choice and similarly in regard to avoidance of excess or deficiency of wealth and good fortune the standard being as above said as reason directs this corresponds to saying in regard to diet that the standard should be medical science and its principles but this though true is not clear one must then here as elsewhere live with reference to the ruling principle and with reference to the formed habit and the activity of the ruling principle as the slave must live with reference to that of the master and each of us by the rule proper to him but since man is by nature composed of a ruling and a subject part each of us should live according to the governing element within himself but this is ambiguous for medical science governs in one sense 
health in another the former existing for the latter and so it is with the theoretic faculty for god is not an imperative ruler but is the end with a view to which prudence issues its commands the word and is ambiguous and has been distinguished elsewhere for god at least needs nothing what choice then or possession of the natural goods whether bodily goods wealth friends or other things will most produce the contemplation of god that choice or possession is best this is the noblest standard but any that through deficiency or excess hinders one from the contemplation and service of god is bad this man possesses in his soul and this is the best standard for the soul to perceive the irrational part of the soul as such as little as possible so much then for the standard of perfection and the object of the absolute goods end of chapter fifteen end of book seven and end of eudemian ethics by aristotle translated by j solomon read by jeffrey edwards recording in memory of mitchell edwards